Good morning. Well, I'm going to read you uh, a, a writing over about a week or so from the diary of uh, the famous evangelist in the 18th century, John Wesley. He wrote, Sunday morning, May 5th, preached in St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday, p.m., May 5th, preached in St. John's, deacon said, quote, get out and stay out. Sunday a.m., May 12th, preached in St. Jude's, can't go back there either. Sunday morning, May 19th, preached in, I, I don't know if this is a joke or this is the name of the church, preached in St. Somebody Else's, that's what he says, what it says, deacons called special meeting, said I couldn't return. Sunday p.m., May 19th, preached on street, kicked off street. Sunday morning, May 26th, preached in meadow, chased out of meadow as bull was turned loose during service. <laughs> I mean, that's a new one. Sunday morning, June 2nd, preached out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Sunday p.m., June 2nd, afternoon, preached in a pasture. 10,000 people came out to hear me. Isn't that something? Staying the course. Charles Spurgeon said, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. <laughs> right. One of the most difficult things in life, but one that is often overlooked, is the ability to set a goal and to reach it. To stay the course and to reach it. Because it's so easy to get off course because we might grow bored. Uh, we might face adversity because we get overwhelmed by the task and maybe we decide to quit. And today we're going to be looking at a passage where some people trying to knock Jesus off of his path as he was approaching Jerusalem. But they were unsuccessful. We're going to see how we can see what Jesus did and apply it to our own lives as we look at the master of the of those who could stay the course, Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 31. Luke says, At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he, Jesus, said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons. And perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we do thank you for being able to gather here this morning. Lord, we do thank you for, for being able to worship together, spirited in truth. As we look at this passage that you would show each of us just how we can look at toward you when it comes to staying the course in our Christian lives as we go about trying to bring about your mission, 
so that all those that we come in contact with would at least hear the gospel. Lord, I, I pray that, that you uh, speak through me today, that my words are yours, that you fill me with your spirit, and that we all get a word from you today, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says this. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So if someone asks you what the, the purpose of the church was, you could go right there, 19, you could choose two words, make disciples. That's the purpose of the church. There's all sorts of ways we go about doing this, but that's the mission of the church is to make disciples. But it's so easy to get off track from this mission. We face adversity. We face all sorts of challenges. Uh, maybe we do get bored doing what Jesus has called us to do, but all different re reasons that we get off track. So today I want to share you three things we need to do in order to stay on track with the mission of God. Three things we need to do in order to stay on track with the mission of God. Number one, ignore the distractions of the mission. Easier said than done, we know this, but ignore the distractions of the mission. Verse 31 Luke says at that very hour, and this is talking about what happened right when he talked about the narrow door, which we talked about last week. He says, at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. So we're, we're not quite 100% sure the motivation of the Pharisees at this moment, but it's probably not good because Jesus just told a bunch of them that they were not promised heaven, <laughs> that the door was narrow and they needed to strive to enter it. And so within that hour, the Pharisees come to him, and, and they give him this kind of this threat. So we don't know if it's a, they're legitimately trying to warn him or if they were trying to worry him, which is probably the case, since he just told them that they wouldn't be in the kingdom of God. But either way, this is a potential distraction. They come up to him, and they give him essentially rumor, essentially innuendo, stuff like that. And, and it maybe might have been true. We don't know if it was true, but their goal was to distract Jesus. That was their goal. What makes this distraction so difficult is it's couched in fear. Herod wants to kill you. You need to leave. Well, do you know the, the, ten, the 10 most common fears? If you know the 10 most common fears, not in any order, but the 10 most common fears. Well, one is kind of a, a group of them, fear of social situation, any type of social phobia, crowds, things like that. You have fear of social situations. You have a fear of open spaces. Uh, you have a fear of enclosed spaces. Uh, there are fear of heights, uh, one of the most, most common, fear of flying, fear of insects, fear of snakes, fear of dogs. Cats weren't on there, so I don't know why, but their cats weren't on there. But fear of dogs, fear of storms, and fear of needles. Those are all the most common fears. But what underlies all these fears is really one fear, and that's the fear of death. See, we're, we're frightful of flying, 
because we think the plane's going to crash and we're going to die, right? We're, 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 fight, we're frightful of storms because we think we're going to die in storm. We're frightful, of, fearful of dogs because we don't want the dog to attack us and, and, and kill us, right? Uh, we, we're scared of heights because we don't want to fall and die. So most of them actually are fear of death, but we're worried about how that's going to happen. So we avoid these things just so we can stay alive for one more day. In the case of Jesus, his detractors, they cut right to the point. They just present him a direct death threat. He says, you're going to die, Jesus. And if there's ever a time to run, now was the time. If there's ever a time to quit the mission, now was the time. But Jesus just viewed this as another long line of distractions trying to keep him off the course of the mission. We're often prone to, to being distracted from the mission of God. This, this happens when we, when we take our eyes off of Jesus. There's a section in the book of Matthew where Jesus walks across the water in the midst of a windy night on the sea. And Peter was excited to see him, but he wasn't sure if it was Jesus or if it was a ghost. Because how many times have you seen someone walk across the water, right? So who would be able to do such a thing? A spirit, a ghost, Jesus? Matthew 14 tells us this. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you die? I can almost, I can almost uh, see Jesus laughing at this point, right? Just give me your hand. Oh, little faith, why did you doubt? Walking to Jesus was the goal for Peter, but the fear of the wind almost cost him his life. He's going to come out to Jesus. There was the goal. And, all, and as his eyes were focused on Jesus, here comes the wind. And then he realizes, wait a second, I'm walking on water. <laughs> I'm walking without a net so to speak. I'm not supposed to be doing this. And the, and the circumstances and the wind and the fear of, of maybe drowning and the fear of death distracted him. But he shouldn't, but Jesus saved him, but he shouldn't have had to save him to begin with. Peter should have just kept his eyes on Jesus and then he would have continued his miraculous journey. What a testimony. Let me tell you about Jesus. Did you know he allowed me to walk on water? That's what kind of God I serve. He probably didn't tell this story to many people because it ended bad. He didn't finish the walk well, did he? It's in the Bible, though. God knows it's there. He gave it to us. And as we continue to follow Christ day by day, as we seek to make disciples, we can only do that if we continually ignore the distractions surrounding the mission. Now, let me say this. It could have been a, a helpful thing that they were trying to tell him, and that's for us to sort out. It takes wisdom to know if this is a helpful criticism or something like that, or if this is just a true distraction. And Jesus knows the difference, and he knew the difference, and he 
ignored it as he went on with his mission. Secondly, as we ignore the distractions, we must maintain the focus of the mission. These two things kind of work hand in hand. Verse 32 says, Jesus said to them, go and tell that fox this. Now, who is Herod? Well, this is not the Herod who sought to kill Jesus when he was a baby. That was, that was, this, this is now Herod's son. Uh, that was uh, his father. And this Herod was commonly called Herod Antipas. And he was sort of a, a governor of the area that enclosed the wider Roman Empire. And Jesus here calls Herod a fox. So, it used to be years ago, if you called somebody a fox, they were attractive, uh, but that's not the connotation here, right? Uh, think about a fox. They're, they're sneaky, right? They, they come into your garden and eat your stuff, eat your food. They're a little dangerous as well. And, and maybe that's what Jesus had in mind, but there's probably more here than, than just a description of a fox. See, foxes were considered unclean animals by the Jews, so in some way, Jesus is calling Herod unclean. Well, he would have been since he wasn't Jewish, but more than just being not Jewish, he was an incredibly immoral person. There was a horrible thing to be done that you couldn't even make up or think of. Uh, Herod would have done it. Every day or so I get on the, the news and I see these headlines of these horrible things that take place across the country and different states and a lot of them seem to happen in Florida for whatever reason. I don't know why, but, but just, just, it just happened to be all over the place, right? All these horrible kind of things. And, and, and I think, gosh, what in the world? Herod did all this kind of stuff. It's incredibly immoral person. Counts of horrible and wicked things he did. And in addition to him being this immoral person, he was also just a puppet king to the Roman Empire. He was not a true ruler. And this is Jesus' way of saying he didn't really care what Herod was up to or his power, what he was doing. Now, Herod had Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, killed earlier. So this could have been a legitimate threat. And obviously, he did not like Herod. He would, he would have difficulties with him because of his cousin dying. But more important than Jesus calling Herod a fox is what he says after that. Look what he says. Tell that fox this. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. In other words, Jesus says that he's going to be going about his business day after day. He says, this is what I do. This is what I do. I, I cast demons out, I do miracles, and I'm going to be doing this today, tomorrow, and the third day. This is a way of saying that day by day, this is what I'm going to be doing. I've been doing this. I will continue to do this. Jesus has a clear idea. He has a clear system of what he does as he approaches Jerusalem. That is his focus. That is his mission. And he's going to stay focused on that mission. And then he adds an interesting tidbit. He says in verse 33, Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. So Jesus again here predicts his death, calling himself a prophet, but he has to perish in Jerusalem. Now, a prophet who died in Jerusalem would have been a horrible thing for the Jewish people to see. And it was. It was very public and was very shameful. 
And even though the people tried to scare him by putting the fear of death in his mind, Jesus knew he was going to die anyway. That's the interesting thing about the fear of death. We're all going to die unless Jesus comes back. Yet we all fear it. We know there's a day appointed to us that only God knows when he calls us home. Only God knows that day. Jesus had a little bit better idea. And he knew he was going to die, but it wasn't going to happen the way Herod wanted it to happen or the way the Pharisees wanted it to happen. It was going to happen the way the Father wanted it to happen. Because that's what needed to happen for us to have salvation. So his death was coming, but it was going to be on his own terms because God had ordained it. His mission was to die so that we may live. Last night, my wife and I went to this uh, little cookout for pastors and pastor's wives. It was a little country boil down in Hanahan that we were invited to. It was real nice. And, and on the way down, we were going down 52, and I'm driving, and, and my wife's talking to me about you know, stuff this weekend. And then she just yells, what's out this yell? I don't know, what in the world that, could that be? I'm like, what's wrong? <laughs> and I look over at her, and I see this big old bumblebee like this big crawling on her leg in an enclosed car, right? Yeah, that's enough to give everybody a heart attack, isn't it? And she did pretty well. She went, oh, and I'm like, what? And then I see this big old bee, and uh, we happened to be right at the light there at Fox Bank. And I said, okay, I'll, just, I'll pull over. What else am I going to do, right? So I get in the left lane to pull over, and it takes forever. I'm just sitting there, you know, waiting for the traffic. But well, this bee is somewhere. <laughs> Meanwhile, my wife's in the back seat at this point, you know, and, and, and I finally pull over. Um, and so my goal is I got to get off the side of the road. I got, and you pull over the side of the road, and we pull into the gas station, and I get out, and we open the door, and, and we open both doors. I'm like way over here looking, for, looking under the seat because it's huge. I'm moving like some like, you know, drinks and things around we have in the, in the floor and having my hat on the floor moving around. And then it, it looked like it was hurt. So I don't know if she hurt it or it was hurt before, but it was right there at the, right there at the edge of the door, and it starts kind of limping out, and it's all buzzing, all mad. And I'm like, come on, you got it. Come on out. I'm like coaxing it out, and it's like, and it finally hits the ground. And so I slam the door, and it's just going kind of wild. I walk around the other side of the door, and I crawl in the other side and get in the car door. And we leave, because I wasn't going to get stung at that point when it's already on the ground, right? But I mean, our mission was clear. Do not get stung by this bee. It was mad. It was injured. I'm just glad it was daytime. If it had been nighttime, I don't know what would have happened, right? But that was the mission. And it was clear, hey, we're focused. We're getting this bee out of the car. They're going to go have some low country boil, right? Well, the point is, we can do a lot of successful things when we are focused, amen? We, we can do a lot of interesting things. We can make things happen when we're focused. Time to time, we grow weary in following the mission of Christ. Sometimes we just get tired. We grow weary. That's why God has given us this word. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. The author says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run, not walk, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And while we're doing this, what do we do? Verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy 
that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he tells us to, to consider something as we think about this. Verse 3, consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus' example is for us to see, hey, he took much more than we ever took. God was with him, God will be with us. So don't grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, dying again. Just keep your eyes on the perfecter of your faith who, who's been through everything you could possibly imagine. You think a threat of a bumblebee in a car is bad? Jesus has been through much worse. He didn't. I didn't get stung by a bee. He defeated the sting of death. Jesus has done much worse. But by enduring hostility for our sin on the cross, we, we are now able to look to him and, and not grow weary. That, that's when it's hard. He says this. When it's hard, imagine Christ on the cross. And let that be your motivation. Hanging there. Taking all the sins of the world. And hold on to that image. And stay the course, maintain the focus of the mission. Jesus has given us that model. Trust in him to give you the strength, and he will do it. Ask for him to give you the strength, and he will do it. So we maintain the focus of the mission by maintaining our focus on Jesus Christ. And number three, we need to understand the reality of the mission. The reality of the mission is sometimes this can be disheartening too. You know, it's God's will that all will be saved, but not all will be saved. We know that. And that's the reality of it. Verse 34, Jesus reveals his heart. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. And stones those who are sent to it. Jesus brings up the history of Israel and how they have treated God's prophets in the past. And Jerusalem was the center of the Jewish culture. So kind of saying Jerusalem was kind of saying, you know, when people say, you know, we got problems in Washington, they, they sometimes mean the whole country because Washington is where the laws are made, right? So he, he's talking about the whole Jewish culture when he says this. An indictment on the whole nation. And Israel had a history of ignoring God's word preached from God's men. They stoned him. Now, and now Jesus doesn't hate them for this. It's not like he's, he's mad about it. He's not. I mean, he hates sin, but he's, there's no bitter anger here. There's no sinful anger, as we would know. He shows the appropriate processed emotion, and that is of sadness. He's sad for Jerusalem. He says this, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. You know, a hen, some of you all have chickens. A hen will do that. They don't have the, the chicks don't have much uh, feathers, right? 
And they're, and they're born that way. They're born with that heat underneath the mother. And the hen will protect the chicks. I heard a story about a farmer who, who had a fire in the chicken coop. And he went out and inspected it. And there was a chicken just sitting, squatted right there in the middle of the chicken coop. And he thought, what a dumb animal. Why would the chick just, chicken just sit there and burn to death? And knocked over the corpse, and out came these little chickadees, alive, saved. Jesus is saying, I'm willing to do that for you, Jerusalem. I'm willing to do that for you. But you won't come underneath my protection. You won't come underneath my wings. They wanted nothing to do with me. And so he says in verse 35, Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, say Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus predicts his final days and with sadness understands the reality of the mission. That is our reality as well. Not everyone we share Christ with will receive it. Not everyone we invite to church will come. Not everyone we pray for will come to know the Lord, but many will. People you do pray for will come to know the Lord. People you do invite to church will come here. People you do know will be saved. So we need to understand the reality of the mission. One day, famous Christian George Mueller began praying for five of his friends. And after many months, one of the five came to know the Lord. Well, ten years later, two others were saved. And it took 25 years before the fourth man came to faith. And Mueller persevered in prayer until his death. And for the fifth friend, and throughout those 52 years, he never gave up praying for that fifth friend who never came to faith. And then Mueller died and went to heaven. And after his funeral, the fifth friend was saved. He didn't see it on earth, but that didn't matter because he'd prayed for him for 52 years. And upon his death, he became faith in Christ. In order to stay the course with what God has commanded us to do, we must avoid the distractions that will surely come. We must maintain our focus on the goal by maintaining our focus on Christ. And we must understand the reality of the mission is that some will reject us, but some who you've been praying for for 52 years will find faith in Christ. So you keep praying. You keep staying the course because when those receive Jesus Christ, when you receive your rewards and your blessings from God for doing what he asks you to do, the struggle is all worth it as we see Jesus hanging on the cross. And as we know, he defeated the cross. And through his resurrection, we all have life. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for Christ Jesus. And as we close our time together today, there are some in here today that are going through an awful struggle in their life. The world, the flesh, the devil, all three are trying to get them off course. We thank you that you have promised to never leave us and stay with us and never forsake us. And so for those who are trying to be derailed, that you keep them 
on the track. Or if there's one in here today that's never placed their faith in you, that they would do so today. Maybe someone's been praying for them for many years. Today's the day their hearts open. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Lord, we bring these, these prayers to you and these thoughts to you today. And we ask these things in the power of your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.